0: Today I'll be reading John chapter 7 verses 12 through 13 in the NIV. Among the crowds there was a widespread whispering about him. Some said he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for the fear of the leaders. Let's please to John chapter 7. Our elders believe that whenever a leader gets better, our church wins. And so they have spent, over the last couple of days, 12 hours um, being challenged by a man by the name of David Ray. David is from Abilene, Texas, and he came specifically this weekend to spend some time with us to help knit our hearts together with the new shepherds having been added, uh, to come and help us develop a little bit more cohesion from the start, uh, and also to challenge us to be better servant leaders David himself is an elder at the Highland Church in Abilene, Texas, and he has been for over 30 years. He has been the dean of undergraduate studies at Abilene Christian University. He's the point person for the Summit Lectureship Series and one of its speakers almost every year. Are you getting... This man's got some creds. With March Magnus in the air, I thought I'd also add, because I think it's appropriate, David played a little basketball when he was at Abilene Christian University. He has shrunk... From his 6'8 frame to about 6'7. But I'm telling you, he is a towering man. When we finished the very last prayer of our conference together that weekend, Donnie Lawrence walked over to him and said in front of all of us, you aren't the best speaker I've ever heard, but you are the biggest. (laughs) David is a very capable shepherd of shepherds, and he did us a wonderful job. He made a tremendous impact on us, and I hope you'll you'll not only hear of but be blessed by. We're in John 7 for the next section of our series we're calling Life Matters where on the last and greatest day of the festival Jesus stood and said in a loud voice let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as scripture has said rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. But up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah is going to come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some even wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Let's bow for prayer, church. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for even more sending us living water to drink, Lord. You didn't have to. We certainly have proved we're not worthy. We certainly have proved with our rebellious spirits, with our selfish choices, with our arrogance, with our ungratefulness, we're not worthy of water from above. But we have come this morning as a family to say, thanks for coming anyway. Thanks for offering us the opportunity to drink. And I'm asking on behalf of the power of the Holy Spirit and because your word offers us the opportunity to do so. Please, God, Come and be among us today through your spirit that you have given now. Your son has been glorified, and you've offered us your spirit. Please come pour yourself out among us today through this word in spite of the weakness of its speaker. God, I ask you to be also with John Standridge as he preaches at Christ Church and as they break bread there today and and welcome you into their midst and also cry out to have their thirst quenched by you. Help us together as one faith community to be one. And we ask it in Jesus' name and everyone's said. And if you had been a Jewish boy or girl, you would have loved the time of year in which the text this morning in John 7 comes from. It's the third feast of the year. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And in it, God has invited people to step away from the grind of life and come celebrate the goodness of this life with him. It's timed right after the harvest, and you brought your barley, and you placed it on the threshing floor to launch a process of making some bread. You brought your grapes and placed them in the wine press for for wine to drink. You took time to stop and enjoy both family and friends, living in tents, little shacks or booze, as the Scripture tells us about them, cooking campfire food, eating campfire marshmallows. Do you think they had marshmallows back then? I hope they had marshmallows back then, playing campfire games. And all the while remembering the one who provided every bit of it. It was the festival of the year that most Jews looked forward to. And it was in that festival Jesus comes with an announcement to make. Now as John gives his eyewitness account of this moment, he chooses to mention that at this time of the great feast, some of the Jewish leaders were wanting to kill Jesus. Why? Why? because they determined that he had violated some of their laws, and because he had spoken what they considered to be unsupported claims by Jesus to have been sent by God himself. Now, never mind him turning water to wine, witnessed by others having been done in a moment. Never mind healing a man who didn't walk for decades, but in a second did because Jesus said, get up. Never mind feeding 10,000-plus people with a little boy's sack lunch. Forget walking on water three miles from the shore out to meet the disciples in a boat. Forget his ministry and who it helped. Forget teaching like no man had ever taught. Jesus was upsetting the apple cart for some religious leaders, and they didn't like it. They didn't just want him to stop. They wanted him, listen to me, dead. And then his family was upset with him to add insult to injury, they didn't get him either. John notes here, there was a time that they were more than happy to see him go and make himself that much more public so that those leaders might get to him. Brother, you need to take your, your ministry more public. Let's get this show on the road, baby. Forget this backwoods discreet demonstration of your power. You need to go center ring here. You need a bigger stage, you need maximum exposure. Let's go to the feast, what do you say? Jesus says, no, it's not a good time. It's not safe. Not with these people, anyway, and what they're saying about me. Uh, their perspective of you is fine, but you aren't revealing the darkness of the evil in their lives, the Scripture says. And some of them, they hate me for doing that. So you're going ahead. I'm not going. And so he didn't, not until things were safe or safer. Keeping off the radar, and he makes his way to the festival, and despite the risk, he's going to this festival. Why? Two reasons, because the reward was great for those to whom he could minister to, but also because who's going to miss this feast? Jesus wanted this for himself. This is the Feast of Tabernacles we're talking about. It's like Thanksgiving if you're looking for a parallel for us. It's like the Fourth of July for us. Who would want to miss either of those holidays? Neither did Jesus. The Feast of Tabernacles was loved literally by everybody, but especially, listen to me kids, kids loved this feast. They loved it. Booths or tents were set up, as I said a few moments ago, and they were built just for the sheer joy of getting away from the house and camping. Not just camping. I mean camping for seven days camping. But not just to have fun. They wanted to have fun. They had a great time, but it was also to commemorate the wanderings of the nation of Israel in the wilderness. It was a part of their history, and it was a rich history. For 40 years, they roamed the wilderness because of their disbelief. And it wasn't easy while they did so for God to provide. Imagine 1.5 million people on the move, and you've got to feed them and water them. How do you do that? It took something supernatural to do that. And this Feast of Tabernacles was to commemorate that amazing time when God took care of his people. Even when they had been stiff-necked and stubborn and whiny, he still took care of them as they roamed around that wilderness for 40 years all around Israel. People then left their homes and rather than just holding up in their house with their Wi-Fi and their social media, they got away from it all. Away from ESPN, away from Netflix, away from Facebook, away from Shores. It was just you and your family and this incredible outdoors that God had created. Cooking lamb fajitas and Dutch oven berry cobbler, telling favorite stories and throwing the frisbee, and if trees were available, hanging out in the hammock for a little siesta. You want to go? Yeah, I thought so. Kids love this stuff. But you know what? Some people didn't get the celebration. They they just didn't get it. They got Passover, they got Pentecost, and the meaning that was behind those two festivals, but they didn't get the Feast of the Tabernacles. Like, some of you just don't get it. We're different. But remembering that anywhere with God is home, that's kind of significant, isn't it? Remembering that in the wilderness, day after day, God reminds them that He was their home. Anywhere, even when it seems like you're nowhere, God is still there. Oh. Sarah Bessie shares the story of a boy who was kidnapped when he was a toddler. He's taken by the kidnappers and he is given a new mom and a new dad and a new address. It really is a great place. But he grows up with the attempt to deceitfully brainwash him of his past and to replace those memories with his present family. And they thought they'd been successful. He had his school, he had his baseball, he had his new friends, a lot of things that had given him a new life and a new identity, but he always remembered. There was always something inside of him that said, this just doesn't feel right. Even though he was taken as a toddler, these these people, this place just didn't seem like home. There were dreams and longings for his mom and his dad. He had flashbacks of his mom in the kitchen, flashbacks of his dad around the dinner table, so he never quite felt satisfied, he later said. And then one day, the lie was exposed. The kidnappers were caught, he was returned home, and people were worried sick that the boy's emotional help would forever be wrecked, but it wasn't. Now, he wept for a few days. He was discombobulated for a few days, Bessie writes. But then he said, I always knew, I just always knew there was another home for me. I wonder if God didn't place the feast of the tabernacles in the lives of his people to help them remember. There in those portable structures, amidst the celebrating and the laughing and the cooking and the eating and the telling of the stories, he wanted them to remember this world is not home. No matter how cool it is, God is our home. And that our soul is restless until we are completely and fully resting in God. Now, that's just a shot at what I think the Feast of Tabernacles was all about. But I'm wondering, of all the things that we're trying to lap up in our life, to drink deeply of, to quench our thirst for life, I wonder if we're just left a little bit parched. And that's part of why God brought you here today to hear this particular message. Did God really command holy camping? (laughs) Look at the word in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 13. Celebrate the festival of the tabernacles for seven days after you've gathered the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. Now here's the main command. Be joyful at your festival. And some of you are thinking, well, <laughs> why would you have to command joy for a festival like this? You've got your best food. You've got your best wine. You've got your family, your friends. You're living in a tent for a week. Who in the world would have to be commanded to be joyous? Well, if you have to ask that question, you've never lived with your family in a tent for a week. You have to command joy, I promise you. Sportsmen have done it several times. Now, a night out in the backyard or a weekend at the lake, that's one thing. But I'm telling you, seven days together, you need God in your midst to make it through. So he goes on to say, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns, everybody's coming. For seven days you celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose for you. For the Lord your God will bless you in your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be made complete. Again, why a holy camp out? Because all of us, like the toddler in Bessie's story, come complete with flashbacks that every now and then just nudge us that this world's not our home. The Ecclesiastes writer says it this way, God set eternity in your heart. God did. He set eternity in all of our hearts so that we would be reminded we're not home yet to we're at home with Him. And so you get in your tent, and it's amazing how pausing for a little bit and connecting with God for a little bit, all of that marked by some celebration can begin to help you remember that you're not home, but but that this world is only meant to be a foretaste and an hors d'oeuvre of the home that's to come. Again, let me say that God is our home. But there's those kidnappers. But there's the prince of darkness who seems to constantly try to come in and steal from us our identities, steal from us our families, steal from us the God who can quench the thirst of all thirsts. And he can be not just successful with a person. We find out in Scripture with an entire nation of people. He was with Israel. They are, in a sense, the entire nation kidnapped when we come to the book of Nehemiah. They've been taken from their homeland by their, Israel, by their enemies. And after 70 years, Cyrus the king, though, allows them to return to their homeland and restore their homes. And at the very forefront of that restoration project was a man by the name of Nehemiah. He gets to write a book of the Bible. Actually, what he writes down is just some eyewitness accounts of what he saw God do after the nation of Israel had been kidnapped and taken into slavery. What took place? Nehemiah calls the people around and with the funds and with people's impassioned energy, they start to build on the wall that surrounds the city of Jerusalem and they get the thing completed and then they start to celebrate They break out the word of God and and God's words being read for the first time among all of them. And they've got teachers who are teaching them what that law means. And all of a sudden, everyone starts weeping. Everybody is just in tears about this. Were they glad that they were home? Were they glad where they were back with God in the place where God had destined for them to be? Yes, but it doesn't feel the same. Israel had compromised in too many places. They tried to find false lesser gods, to be their gods. And as Ezra is reading the law, there's all this weeping until finally, I love this, that God allows us to be in Scripture, until finally Nehemiah says, hey, hey, everybody, I want your attention. Enough with the weeping. We're going to celebrate with the Feast of Tabernacles, ready the tents, ready the hibachis, ready the tiki torses. We're having a party. And believe me? Read God's Word. Here it is. You've got to read the Bible. This is, all, this is good stuff. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is to be your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still. This is a holy day. Do not grieve. And then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. And on the second day of the month, the heads of the families, along with all the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. And you know what they found written in that law? That the Lord had commanded Moses that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim his word and spread it throughout all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country. And bring back branches of olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles and palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters. Because as it's written, so the people went out and they brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, by the square of the water gate, by the gate at Ephraim. The whole company had returned from exile and built temporary shelters and lived in them. Now from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites hadn't celebrated like this. And their joy was very, very great. Forget Woodstock. This is Godstock. It's nuts. And all prescribed by God. I love it. And it's in the middle of this feast that Jesus couldn't stay away from. John couldn't help but write down after he saw it for himself. Jesus in the middle of this feast where the people are remembering where their real home is. They've got this guy, this priest would get up every single day and he would get this golden jar and he would go down to the pool of Siloam and he would dip that jar into the pool. And, and then kind of parade-like and kind of procession-like, he'd grab that thing and they'd walk. And the people would get behind him, you know, kind of like a limbo, is it a limbo line? It's not a limbo line, what do they call that line? Conga line, yeah, we got the conga line going here. And we'd take that water and we would slosh it over the altar at the... And they do that every single day. Day two, go back, pull the Siloam, grab the water, conga line, come, here we go, slosh it all over the altar every single day. And every single day, the kids would stop playing cornhole for a minute. Mom would say, hey, get out here. It's hot. Mom, I know, get out here anyway. You've got to watch what the priest is doing. And so they get out there and he's bringing by the, the jar of water headed to the temple. And in the midst of that parade, Jesus stops it and he says, let anyone who is thirsty, come to me and get a drink. Now, that's a parade stopper. I mean, think about how weird that would be, okay? I mean, we're used to the guy going to the to Pool of Siloam and getting, getting the water and heading with his congo line, and we, we slosh it all over. But for a guy to stop the parade and stand up and say, hey, anybody thirsty here, come to me and get a drink. I hope that stops us like it stopped them. If anybody's thirsty, come to me and drink, the text goes on to say, because everyone who believes in me, not only will their thirst be quenched, but streams of water will well up from within them. Now, as I read that again this week, i got to tell you, I thought, if that's true, thank you for coming from heaven down to earth in a body to let us know that that's possible. Thank you for all the trouble that it would cause you to go through if it's true, that this thirst within us could finally be quenched by something, because it seems like there's so little somethings in this world to do that, and God says, bingo, only me. Only Jesus can give you water above water that will quench the thirst in your soul like nothing else can. Jesus says, I want to I give you a drink. Anybody interested? Now, I know some of you are sitting here today, and you're thinking, I can't be interested, not that I don't want to be, but I just can't be, because you don't understand what I've been drinking. It's anything but above water. It's it's below water, it's hellish water. I'm not qualified to drink him anymore. Well then I want you to notice the second word there. Let said out loud. Anyone come to me and drink. Anyone, anytime, anywhere, having done anything, having hurt anyone, come to me and drink. Yeah, but Jimmy, what about someone who's been divorced and remarried several times? What about someone who's living with someone who's not their husband? Uh, Jesus handled that one in chapter 4. It it was to this woman at a well, for the first time he says, if you knew who was standing before you, you'd ask him for a drink, not me asking you to help me with a little bit of a drink. Because I could offer you living water. And he offers it to her. A five-time loser when it comes to marriages. And living with a guy who's not even her husband now. Yeah, he's got that one handled. Well, what about someone who's committed adultery? Which is going to happen in, in chapter 8 of John. and We're going to get to that one week after next. What about that? Well, some of you may have read online this week as I did. Another preacher from another megachurch was found out some sexual impropriety had taken place. It actually had happened years ago, but now it's come up. And we're not quite sure whether he hid it or not or how it's been. But all of a sudden, it's going to be all over. The great kidnapper, the great prince of darkness is going to make sure it's all over the press. And we wonder, can a preacher, can a preacher drink after having done that? And Jesus is going to show us any sexually immoral person can come get a drink from me. Anyone. But that's two weeks from now. We so say, surely, Jimmy, there's got to be some requirements to, to qualify for this drink. And there are. Here's the first one. Pay close attention. Acknowledge you're thirsty. That's where you Let's restart. Blessed are those who know they're thirsty. It's another way of writing, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And at the end of that, he says, you will see God. But you've got to start there. You've got to acknowledge, I'm thirsty here. You see, some of you aren't. (laughs) Jimmy, you can talk about thirsty all you want. I, I feel pretty full, actually. Now, I'm not saying that what I'm drinking is giving me life. But you know what? I do feel pretty full. This water's not for you. Because it won't matter much if... It won't make much of a difference it won't won't help it won't restore until you know you're thirsty and Satan is going to work himself to make sure you have all the other things to drink you can get your hands on some of us have been drinking water that we call holy water but it's not that's a hard part of this text here that just kind of has stayed with me all week long there's there's a real good chance that you can drink water hanging around Jesus people doing quasi-Jesus things, and yet you never drink in Jesus. The Hebrews did that. Christians can do that because you're talking about religion here. Anybody here have water in their house that every now and then you forget you have to drink? I mean, you've gone through the day, you're parched, you realize you've you got a little bit of a headache because you're dehydrated, maybe your skin's a little bit itchy, and you go, oh, i got water in that. I haven't been drinking it. So you mean you tell me you can have water literally in your home and yet you don't drink it? Hmm. You mean to tell me a Christian can have access to water in their home and still not drink it? Hmm. Because there's still other things to drink. I can still have living water, a a tap to it, in my house, but I can still choose to fill my life with all kinds of things to drink. Never really feeling thirsty. But hanging around a lot of people who drink some water, uh, there's some water in this building in there, but you can come to this building, listen to me, and never drink. You can your entire life and never drink. And people look at your lives and they go, so they go holy camping on Sunday and they supposedly drink some holy water? I don't see holy here. It's because you're not drinking him. Second thing required is, Not just acknowledging your thirsty, but drinking his Holy Spirit. We're introduced to this for the first time here in in Jesus' life as he's walking with his disciples. Not the first time he's mentioned in the Gospel of John, but at least in this ministry of raising up disciples to be followers of him. David Ray came and he helped us here with this. He reminded us that there is a way of connecting with God, encountering his son that involves being still and being silent, and it's purposeful, it's intentional of just getting with God. And unless you do, unless you leaders drink, how can you offer water to your sheep for them to drink? And so we had to stop <laughs> and to be still and to drink. That happens for me best about 530 in the morning. I don't know when you do yours or when you can. But my world gets to spinning so crazily once I hit the door here or once I just get uh, about 9 o'clock and I'm available to Kerrville, to the Kerrville Church of Christ, to, to other folks here. My world gets to spinning so fast. Sometimes I don't have time to stop and drink till I wake up the next morning. So 5.30 is working for me. And this week on Tuesday, I'm, I'm walking the walk that I walk at 530 in the morning, and I'm either listening to the Word of God or listening to the music of God or just listening to the sounds of God around me as the world starts to wake up. But it was still dark Tuesday morning when I'm out doing my walking, and, I, and I'm walking my walk, and part of it is going uphill at the very last of it, the, the, the halfway part, and I'm walking up, and just over this oak tree is the Big Dipper. I don't know if you get up that early in the morning, but right now the Big Dipper is in the northwest part of the sky. And I mean, it's right down to where you could touch it. And as I got to the very top of the, of the walk there, I'm telling you, I, it was like I could just, I could wrap my arms around it. It was so close and it was so big. And in that moment, I did not hear a laud, a laudable, loud voice. I, but I did hear a voice. It said, get you some. Come on, get you some. You get a drink before you go talk to anybody in your church about getting a drink this week. You drink, all right? And so I did. I'd been going and blowing, and I'd been missing those times with God. I hadn't been very regular about it. And I was a little bit parched in my soul and my spirit. And so I stopped. And I had me a drink. I got back. And Gail said, I almost came after you. You've been gone for so long. And she said, where have you been? I said, drinking. She smiled. She smiled. said it was great. Church, get you some of that. I don't have time to unpack how you do that because you see what's awesome about our God is he knows we're different people and we drink in different ways. Same source though. And so right now for 13 weeks, we've got Ron Shea downstairs on Sunday morning teaching how you connect with an invisible God. How do you drink from this Jesus? He's offered us the invitation. How do you do that? Do you know? Are you a little sketchy on that? Then get to that class. We offer one about every fifth quarter. It comes back around to teach us how do we drink from this Holy Spirit? How do you do that? And you know what? So many of us have gone 30, 40, 50 years of our life around a Jesus church, saying Jesus words, singing them, taking his communion, and you don't know how to drink from God. But we're learning and we're growing. And we need, for those of you who do know how to drink, to wrap your arm around some others of us and teach us how. But, Jimmy, if I start to do that, I can guarantee you my family's not going to understand it. They're not going to get it. And I can almost guarantee you I may make some people nervous, maybe even some of the leaders at our church here. On both accounts, all I can say is that if you do, you're in good company. Jesus made some of his family members a little bit embarrassed, a little bit angry, didn't quite believe that who he was and what he was about was true. That can happen. He even made some of the religious leaders in his community angry with him to the point they wanted him out, literally. That may happen. But you know what? I think it's becoming more and more doubtful that it'll happen here at this church. Because I'm watching our leaders learn to drink, and your preacher's learning to drink. And about all we can say right now is get you a drink. Come learn with us how. Because there's a world out there who would like to have some of this living water flowing not just into us, but out of us. We'd like to give them an option that really is better, not just an option. And so we've come this morning to celebrate that he left heaven and earth and came here and said, this is news worthy enough for a personal invitation. Come get you a drink. And if you said yes to that, then I'm going to expect you in a moment to stand up and to just lift the roof with praise because we're, going to about, we're about to do that. And if you're interested in about how to do that, I, Jesus simply said, you put your faith and your trust, you, believe, you set the whole whole of your life in me, and I will give you life that never ends. I'll give you a drink that never stops. And if you've never had that, come talk to me, okay? And we'll talk about what that next step is. It's believing first. It's trusting him first, saying, everything else has failed me. I'm putting my weight on this. And if you've done that, I'm expecting you to celebrate, all right, with me. And if you need someone to wrap their arms around you because you've been chasing after false drinks, less than life drinks, and you need someone to put their arms around you, not just to stand and sing, but someone at the back, one of our shepherds, the leaders up here at the front, to put their arms around you and say, would you help me? Find my way to stop and be still and make time to be with God. We want to do that. Stand up, would you please? Father in heaven, we lift up our voices to you now to praise the one who's come to not just offer us a drink, but made sure that when we did, life happens. And as we praise you this morning, we ask that you move among us through the power of your spirit. Move those to the front, to the back, who'd like to start today, right now to get in on this anyone, everyone, whoever, the whole kit and caboodle, every single one of us who's been invited to come and to take you in. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Everyone said